Hello, I'm Ross Martin, the president of Known, and welcome to CEO Matters, the Drum Network's new podcast series that delves deep into the hot topics that agency leaders are wrestling with. Today's topic is all about the relationship that's evolving between brands and agencies as we rewrite the social contract between the two. Is the agency-client relationship fit for purpose? And now, having said exactly what they wanted me to say in this intro, we all know and love the drum, especially lately, the drum is killing it. What you might not know is that the drum people must be out of their freaking minds because this is the first episode in this new podcast series. And for some reason, they thought it was a good idea to allow me to host it, determine the topic, and invite the guests. One of them is the perfect person for this episode, Marla Kopowitz, because as the president and CEO of the four A's, she sits at the middle of all of it. She's right in the center and she sees and propels the future of the relationship between brands and agencies. The other is Joe Cronk, the president of Whaler, who I believe is one of the most progressive agencies and doing so much to advance the future of the relationship between brands and their agencies. Without further ado, I welcome you to the show and I welcome Joe and Marla to this episode. It would be great, Marla, if you could introduce yourself and the four A's. One A would be enough. You have four. Please tell us what you do. So my role at the forays, I always say our role is to help our members, half our independent agencies, half our holding company agency members. And our role is to help drive their business and the value that they get. And the other area that we focus in on is how do we move the industry forward? There are so many different ways that we can come together and focus on collaboration over competition. And so community is a really important area for us. But I'd say the two key areas are helping agencies through their business transformation. And the other is addressing all of their talent needs and supporting them through those. So this must be like kind of one of the most interesting times in history for someone to be the president and CEO of the four A's, right? Absolutely. I have been here now five years and I have seen so much change. And that's also what keeps it exciting. That it, and that's one of the things that attracted me to this industry over 30 years ago. It is dynamic and always exciting and interesting. Well, that said, I'm, I'm done being nice. Um, my question <laughs> now is really around like, what are you trying to fix in the agency landscape? Like what are the top three problems sure. you think that we face? Uh, I'll start with, I'm always going to focus on talent because that is number one for every single leader that I speak with. We still have to fix the dynamic there. We need to drive stronger retention. We need to address greater diversity, equity, and inclusion, and especially belonging in this business and a recognition that we don't have the right leadership across agencies as it relates to diverse composition. 
if we are an industry that is helping to shape and mirror culture, then we need to make sure that we are reflective of the society in which the creative and the distribution is being delivered to. So I think there's more work that really needs to be done there. So I'll start with talent. I think the next area has to be new business. It is broken. We are working on an initiative right now with the ANA called Agency Search Simplification. And it started as, I would say, a more narrow idea on how do we collaborate on the RFI process so that people don't have to regurgitate the same information over and over again. And we recognized both sides said, we need to really fix the whole thing. It's far too cumbersome. It's lengthy. What I am now trying to do is get our teams, and we're trying to work on this, to get more awareness of how much money is being spent on both sides when it comes to pitching. And then the third, I would say, is in compensation. I think it's it's very broken in terms of the value exchange. It is very uneven. And agencies should not be banks. The payment terms... The, the kind of liability that is often pushed on agencies, it's just not right. So those are big areas that we are focusing in on. There's a lot more, but I'd say those are three of the biggest ones. One of the first agencies that comes to mind to me in terms of being the most progressive on the issues that you just laid out would be Whaler. That's why I wanted you, Joe, to be on this first podcast for the Drum Network, because I think what you have done and what you are trying to do is not only super progressive, and it's one of the reasons why you're winning, um, but I also think you're part of a group of agencies that I like to think known as part of in, in setting a new standard for modern marketing, and in the process, a new social contract with clients, new set of expectations for the value exchange. So I wonder if you could maybe open, Joe, by talking about Whaler, who you are, if you're not an agency, um, what you do and why you think it's working. Of course, I'd love to. And thanks again for having me. I, we were talking before we started. I had my first child eight weeks ago, so I'm currently on maternity leave. And I think there's only really one person that if you were, I'd leave my baby for to have a conversation with, and that's Ross. I knew this would be entertaining and sure point, like provocative, and we'd have a really gritty conversation. So it's great to be here with both of you. So going back to your question, Wayla, who are we? Um, we are a global, very proud to say, award-winning um, creator commerce company. So you'll notice that I've said company, not agency. And the reason being, there's four lines of our business. What you'd call quote-unquote traditional agency work falls under the brand partnership piece. So kind of, if you will, for ease, a quarter of the business is more feels like an agency, but we're a lot more than that. So what is a creator commerce company? Some of the listeners might be asking. And really what it is, we are focused on helping brands, creators, and social media networks and platforms grow. So bringing them all together and helping them grow and achieve their goals. Um, and we value our brand clients and our talent clients exactly the same. We are nothing without the creator community that we work with. And something while I love Jesus, I mean, you use the word community already. And that's what really matters, especially today in our post-COVID world. It's really about how do we galvanize communities rather than doing a whole, you know, spray and pray, reach advertising agency 
kind of play. Um, so that's who we are. My role is president for North America. Um, and I really see myself as being kind of, you know, a, a coach and the conductor to the brand side of the business. Um, and we're constantly looking to innovate. And the company has been running for six years. They were, we don't have a rule book. And that's to your point, Ross, that's why we're winning. We've just been awarded last week by Fast Company, one of their top 100 places to work for innovators. And one of the reasons is because we are, you know, taking bold swings and helping brands understand the new landscape in which they're operating in. Yeah, congratulations on that win. I think it's huge. Uh, yeah. And it really speaks to Marla's first answer to my question on the, the challenges she's addressing, which is talent. And yeah. For you guys at Whaler, you know, six years in, you really have um, sort of two pools of talent. You have your employees, and then you have the creator community outside of your direct employee. We do. I would love to ask you about your unintended attrition rate. And you don't have to answer the question, but if I'm going to be a provocative host, I'm going to ask it. Yeah. So let me ask first, Marla, what is the average rate of unintended attrition in our industry. You can provide a range if you choose. It has to be a range because it varies by city. So if you're going to talk the, the big city, New York, and where you have a lot of larger agencies, you can see 20 to 30%. And obviously that number fluctuates depending upon what's going on in the economy. But that's and we've seen that number go even higher amidst, I'll call it the great reassessment of the past year and a half or so. And if you look at some smaller markets, that number will be lower. Some of the smaller agencies will be below 10%. I think it really is dependent on compensation, culture, location, and flexibility. And so flexibility is key, but it, it is a challenge. And before we put Joe on the spot, when you say smaller agencies, what's a small agency? What's a mid-sized agency? We tend to think of small as under 100 people, maybe even under 50, kind of mid-sizes up to 300 and then above 300, which would be a larger agency. Because one of the other changes that we've also seen in this business versus when I got into this business, there's a lot more opportunities out there. There's a lot of different things that you can do, especially I grew up on the media side. You look at all the tech companies that are out there. And so it creates a very different dynamic, especially with compensation in order to try and retain that talent. Uh, typically, people are now saying, well, I'll go into an agency, I'll get amazing training, and then maybe I'll use that to go elsewhere. There's a different dynamic that, as it relates to, I would say, loyalty and tenure at a company too. Okay. So, well, let's hear, let's hear from Joe, how many whalers are there? And so are you small, mid-size or large? So globally, we're at 269. And I can say for the part of the business that I oversee, so the North American brand business, um, our, what was the language used? Unintended attrition yeah. rate uh, was single figures last year in terms of percentage points. So less than 10%. So we have fantastic um, retention and also what we affectionately call boomerangs. We have quite a few boomerangs as well. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's so interesting. We're a young company, literally. So a lot of the talent we have who are like full-time full -time employees, it's their first job. 
So you'll be at Whaler for two years and you don't realize what a special, unique company, culture, just right. the day to day, working with these unbelievable creators and brands every day. You get a different offer and you're kind of like, oh, it's like any type of relationship, right? You're like, oh, that looks and sounds really attractive. I'm going to give it a go. And then you get there and you're like, actually, I didn't realize what I had. And we gratefully, you know, very open arms, happily take the right talent back. Well, one thing I noticed you guys do is you market the whaler experience quite a bit. And it's almost like you treat whaler as a lifestyle brand, which is what we do at, at Known as well. People like wearing Known and Whaler merch. Like I get yes. calls and emails and texts every day when I, especially They're obsessed home. with the merch. Like why, like how come I can't get your merch? Like, and, and for known, like, I think we're going to open a merch store because like, and we'll donate all of the money to our foundation. But I guess my question is like, there's something going on at your agency and at mine. We're 500 people. Our unintended rate of attrition is below 7%. Um, that's crazy town when you look at the numbers, Marla, that you laid out as the baseline. And it must mean that we're investing differently um, in, in some way in the culture, uh, or we're doing a better job of picking the right people, uh, or we're paying people too much. One of those three things. Well, I think there's a fourth thing as well. It's the work in itself. You're not sitting in flowcharts right. all day. It's different type of work, and it's meaningful, and it's purpose-driven at both of our companies. And you can't say that for a lot of the legacy traditional agencies. Well, like I said, you know, in the beginning during our, our prep call in the green room, I said, my dear friend, Linda Boff is like always on my shoulder. She's the CMO of GE saying, Ross, be nice. Just take the high road. <laughs> and, but you just took this, like, because you have a British accent, you say these things and they don't sound really arch. They sound like nice, but you just took this like veiled shot at the work that's being done and the innovation that is not happening at legacy agencies. And I wonder if you mean that or if you're- No, for clarity, I'm not down on legacy agencies. I spent the first 16, 17 years of my career at holding company, like big agencies. The difference for me and probably the singular reason why I switched over to Wader is because I was frustrated at feeling like I wasn't able to make impact make a difference at those big companies. And we're so purpose-driven at Whaler. You know, we say everything is better with creators. It is. Marla's already mentioned DEI. That's, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. It is at the core of everything we've always done. And if you think about how Netflix democratized the distribution of quality content, at Whaler, we feel like we've really democratized how advertising can be made how great content rather than like producing ads we can tell brand stories and you could be a asian queer 19 year old in alaska it doesn't matter you are a great talent you don't have to have gone to a certain school your father doesn't have to be friends with another white man it's really democratized everything. That's the type of impact that people feel that work at Whaler. Um, so it's not that I'm down on the larger agencies, but the work we're doing is interesting. You know, we're not following cultural trends. We're creating them. And that is interesting. And that makes a difference. You kind of can't be down on them because they're all trying to buy you or they will. And if you were to say something on this podcast, it'd be held against you in those negotiations. <laughs> but, um, 
let's let's back up a second. Like you can say on a podcast like this, and nobody will call you on it usually. We are a values-based organization, so we're driven by our commitment to a shared set of values. And you and I have talked about how important that is to us as leaders. We have talked about that many times as leaders. Um, and I have to ask you first, and then I'll ask you the same question, Marla. Um, have there been times, Joe, where there are creators that would be commercially lucrative for you to work with or brands who are sitting there backing up a truck of money that you just said, hey, we can't do it. The values are not yes. aligned. And what is that experience like inside Whaler? And then I want to ask Marla what she's seeing at other agencies. The short answer is yes. And in terms of what it feels like, it feels empowering. And I think, you know, we often talk about the power of no. And there are different reasons why we might evoke the power of no. But we are value-based and we're not going to um, work on a campaign or with a brand that we feel doesn't match our values. Now, that can be quite like a lofty statement to make. but it's another reason why our team is so loyal to Whaler because they know we're going to do what's right for our people and for the creator community. So it's definitely more on, I think, you know, the brand and campaign side where things might come to us and we have said no for different reasons. So I, I think it's great that you block people because you need to make sure that you uphold the integrity of your network and your expectations of what they can deliver. Well, I'm just trying to understand in a world where we're increasingly as agencies and as brands called upon to not be neutral, uh, but to take a position. Um, and, and this has happened obviously almost every day over the last two months, uh, but, but it's been building for years. And I, I used to write about this all the time. Marla, what are you, what are you seeing in this regard with agencies who are, are, forcing themselves or who are being forced by investors or employees to take positions that may be not universally agreed to in their own agencies um, and, and sometimes saying no or goodbye to prospective clients and talent. Yeah, I think it's, it's great, Joe and, and Ross, you both talk about the importance of values and purpose and every company agency has values that they should live by and a purpose. And really the roster of clients that they keep is a reflection of that. There needs to be an alignment there. And there definitely have been some public situations and there are more that we don't even know about where there have been employees or groups of employees that have disagreed with management based on their selection or retention of certain clients based on either the category or the type of work that they're doing. And the agents, some agencies have made the choice to resign those clients and focus in on that feedback and really reflect on their values. Others have said, no, we're doing this work. We think it's important that we help them address these issues. And there are employees that then say, I don't want to be part of that. And they make that choice. And I do think we're in a very different environment today where the, I'll call it power, has shifted more to the employee. 
And I think Edelman did a terrific trust barometer survey last year. They always do their specialty specialty ones where they focused yep. in on employees and you know the employee voice and the need to have trust with that stakeholder is so critical. And you need to really think about your values and the choices that you make. And that is going to increasingly be critical for any company, especially agencies, given the client dynamic. I think as important as the outcome is, so whether we are going to move forward with this creator or this brand, it's the process that gets you to that outcome. So it's about having the conversation. And it's not about necessarily just the management team or leadership saying yes or no. The team, they want their voices heard and they deserve to have their opinions heard. So it's not about, you know, ruling by like complete democracy and voting on it, but having a conversation, the process, hearing people, their difference of opinions, because diversity for us is also diversity of thought as well. And what, for me, it could be a very mm -hmm. clear yes or no. But for others who have utterly different opinions, it's important to have those conversations and then come to a decision together. Of course, there's normally, you know, one or two final decision makers, but hearing the team out. Um, so you understand where they're coming from is critically important. So what we're really getting at in this episode is the refactoring of the relationship between brands mm. and agencies. And one question I have for both of you is, why is this topic never actually addressed in the trades that these five agencies all said no to this client because there's a values issue over there? We know who those clients are. Uh, and we know who those agencies leaders are who no one wants to work with. So why are these things not reported? Like we look for scandals and ad age and ad week, or we look for like who won or lost the business. We don't talk about this issue. We talk around it. We talk about values and DE&I, but we don't actually get to the heart of the matter, which is where agencies just cannot bring themselves to work with a client or a client cannot bring themselves to work with an agency because there is too big of a divide in the values. I can keep talking about why they don't cover it. Why don't they cover it? No. I, well, they don't cover it because they're either covered by some sort of reasons why they don't want to share that. Obviously, it's controversial. Uh, I can tell you agencies don't ever want to disparage a client publicly. There also could be NDA issues where they can't actually publicly talk about it, especially if they were in some sort of pitch situation. So it, it would be good to have those open conversations though. And I always appreciate Ross being provocative and, and pushing. I think really it comes down to money, right? I mean, that's the real reason. A lot of people, they don't want to turn what they think is you know, good cash away and they're not in a position to do so. And it depends, again, you know, the, the legacy agencies, it's like trying to turn Titanic. And they've always been known for having loss leaders. Always. That's how the businesses have, well, they might not have been built that way, but over the years, that's how they evolved. Yes. So sometimes, you know, you're making a deal with the devil, sometimes eyes wide open, sometimes after the ink has dried. So I think it's hard. I think that cash is the primary reason. The second is, this is a small industry, even globally, and you never know who your next interview might be with. That's right. That's so good... people don't want to piss someone off mm -hmm. because they might need a favor or a reference. Like people have long memories. Yes. And I think that's probably the second reason. All right. Well, I'm done with that 
provocative line of questioning, making everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I, I guess we all agree we want to try to use this podcast episode to in some way improve the relationship between agencies and clients um, and or at least understand better how those relationships are evolving. And we talk about the, the value exchange. I can say for known, in addition to signing an MSA and a scope of work, we also sign a social contract with all of our clients. And we sign it like whether it's in person or right on the Zoom, we go through it line by line and we, we make a bunch of very important foundational promises. We say we, we actually hold ourselves to these and we hold you to them. Mm -hmm. And we ask you to sign them as well. And they're meant to, to govern um, not just um, our working relationship, but a set of values and principles that we really commit to. Um, it's been a very important part of the relationship between Known and its clients, and it's one of the reasons why we're, we're doing such a good job of retaining clients and growing them, I think. Um, I wonder if you could both talk about, maybe Marla first, how is the social contract being rewritten between agencies and brands? And how are the expectations that they have of one another over time evolving? Yeah, this came up, especially once the pandemic started. I was getting calls from agency leaders saying, I think we need to look at some sort of code of conduct between agencies and brands and the way that they're working. And I talked to some leaders who actually create those with specific clients. And it's not just about the work that they're going to produce or distribute. It's also about how are we going to work? How are our teams going to work? And I think that's so important because everyone is different and you need to align. And I like, Ross, that you do, it's not just one set contract, right? It's bespoke based on the needs of that client and your team. And you need to be thinking about that. But I am seeing a lot of agencies really pushing back. This issue that we're dealing with that's become far more pervasive on mental health and wellness in this business is so critical. Agencies have been known to get pushed very hard to have to deliver work, who knows what time, very late. And it is so important to make sure that we can actually have some flexibility there. And there needs to be a conversation, especially when it comes to new business pitching. You should not be scheduling a meeting right after the 4th of July holiday or right after the winter break. Uh, we need some recognition that there are people, that is what agencies spend their number one dollar on, is people and talent. And you need to treat them accordingly and I do think that that social contract needs to change and evolve. And there are so many great examples of strong client agency partnerships. And I actually am glad we're doing this with The Drum because I do a series with them called Convene Challenge Change, which is really about challenging kind of the myths and norms of the way partnerships have been and talk about how those partnerships are evolving. And I think it is really critical. Well, I think The Drum you know, actually really laid out a new social contract with its readers, not even a year and a half ago. And it said, look, here's what you can expect of us going forward. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast with the drum, because not to kiss their butt on their own platform, but like, I think there is purpose and meaning in this platform and um, super, there's a lot of intention uh, on the, the part of the people who run it. So 
Okay, Joe, what about you? Like, how are you changing the relationship that you have at Whaler with the brands who are counting on you to win? What we, I mean, we're very upfront from the first conversation. So even before like we've agreed to move forward and become partners um, in terms of how it is we go to work, how the things that we will not do when it comes to creators, and a lot of that is around how they're paid and making people really understand that if we're going to ask someone to do twice as much work, it doesn't mean you're going to get 30% off of a rate, for example. So whereas you no know, traditional agencies, that can be a big part of the conversation. We're explaining like our values up front to make sure they're aligned. And what we're really looking for is we want to be a brand's battle buddy. We want to help them solve their problems. And we want to do things together because you know the world is only getting more complex. If you think about the power of TikTok today versus forget pre-pandemic, but even compared to six months ago, see what they're doing today. It's just the landscape's evolving so much. Um, so for us, it's having very clear rules of engagement, being a battle buddy and being, you know, tackling problems together with the clients that we're working with. Um, and yeah, so just being really transparent, open and honest about it. Because I think that's part of, again, the problem, Marley, you said it as well, is that like we're partners. The agencies aren't there to serve at all costs. Right. That's where people leave. And accounts do, like within all agencies, I believe, somebody, I'm not working on that account, but there's no way because you, brand accounts get reputations and the great talent don't want to touch them because especially at a more senior level, so you know, our happiness and success is 360 and I'm not willing to answer that email at 10 o'clock at night. You mentioned transparency, honesty, integrity. Mm. If you were to ask me, and neither of you have, what's the biggest issue facing agency client relationships today? I would say it's the damage that we've done to, as an industry, <laughs> to the trust. And that's not something that's easily earned back. And there's a lot, of, a lot of it continues, unfortunately, to this day when you see bad behavior or unnecessary opacity. And a lot of it is also, you know, it's not driven by bad people who are trying to do harm. It's driven many times by business models that were created 30, 40 years ago um, that have also created today perverse incentives where the business objective of an agency is somehow different from the business objective of their client. And um, that creates real problems, especially leading to greater and greater opacity. And so one of the things I, I wonder if I could ask the two of you about is what can we do or any of the listeners to this podcast do to push for greater transparency and integrity in our industry? Well, I think it depends what you mean by transparency when you say that, because I have a challenge when clients go to agencies and their expectation of transparency is they want to see margins and they want to see all sorts of details about the business and they should focus on what is the transaction, what is the value of what is being delivered. And they don't get that from their law firm or their accounting firm or Google or anyone else, but yet there's somehow this odd expectation that they can do this to an agency. So to me, transparency is about an honest value exchange about what is being 
provided, what is being delivered, and getting that back and understanding what those dynamics are. And I think that is important. And yes, there have, I'll go back years, there were challenges in understanding what was in contracts because <laughs> contracts got overly complex. Uh, people were looking for all sorts of interesting savings and it, it, the deal, it just got so into the minutia where it just became too much. And I think we've had a good reset in the industry and one of the things that I think has been good about the last two years is that it was also a reset. The pandemic was kind of this catalyst for change of, you know what, when the going gets tough, you really need your partners and agencies have, were there for their clients and really stepped it up. And hopefully that has not been forgotten because I know the agency leaders that I've talked to really feel like they've been able to spend more time with their clients, even if it has been virtually, that they've been able to elevate to address the most urgent business problems and not get into the kind of day-to-day tactical, but the bigger strategic and not just short-term, but long-term issues. And that's positive. And I hope that really endures over time. That's amazing. I really hope you run for governor or mayor of New York. I... You are such an advocate for our industry, Marla, and I love it. And it's exciting to hear you talk about that. Um, and you're right that during the pandemic, so many clients were in such precarious positions um, in their business, supply chain, like, and then panic um, mindset. Um, and I, and I, I think you can point to so many examples of industry leaders who went so far above and beyond for their clients um, that really that, that does carry our industry forward. You're, you're right. So, Joe, what about you? I mean, for, I mean, it starts with us, like having this conversation and just being more vulnerable and sitting down together and saying, right, Kate, these are the real challenges, like the brand, I'm the brand, these are the real challenges I'm up against. And then having the agencies work with them, I'm like, okay, that the KPIs, let's have them be results driven. Like, let's talk about results and how we're going to get there. Like, you don't go into a store and go, you know, you don't, whatever store it might be, the gap. And so, okay, I want that sweater. It costs 30 bucks, but I want to understand who you paid what, how many hours it took, et cetera. You just buy the damn sweater for $30. Like, that's it. And you like it. I think it's more about there, the outcome, the result was I wanted to look good and be warm. I think that's like the conversation we want to be having. We will help you achieve your results, overcome your challenges. And this is the price. Do you want to dance together or not? And I think that we need to, like, the Bravo. agencies need to, we all need to collectively stand up and have more of those conversations. And that's what I talk about when it comes to, like, battle buddies, rules of engagement. It's, these are the kind of conversations we will have. Um, and then there are no tripwires three months down the line. Everyone knows what they're getting into. I love it. And it's going to be fantastic. And we're all going to, you know, win and grow together. I agree. Last question. We're going to wrap it up. This first ever pioneering episode of CEO Matters on the Drum Network. Name two to three things that clients are expecting of agencies today. They weren't even a few years ago. The ability to measure everything, even if you can't. Measurement, and rightly so, but there are some things that cannot be measured correctly. So I'd say measurement continues to be incredibly important. Um, speed of innovation, both understanding it and understanding how a brand can win with so much innovation going on. Um, I need to think of a third. Marla, do you want to go? And I've, I need some time to think of a third, but they're my first two. 
I mentioned, I think those are great ones. I would absolutely uh, underscore the measurement kind of metrics piece. I think that one's critical. I, I mentioned it earlier. There's this shift that agencies or banks yeah. and payment terms went from 30 or 60 days to this crazy expectation of 90, 120, some you see 180. Again, I'll go back to agency's number one cost, talent. Number two is their rent. This is not the type of dynamic where they need to be holding on to money just because you can't pay them on time. So I, I just think that is a dynamic that has shifted that is absolutely wrong and uh, quite frankly, disappointing. Yeah. I also think that there's been this shift where it's become very transactional. And I think one of the challenges of the past few years, there was the rise of the CMO. What we're seeing now is what is the role of the CMO and how does the CMO maintain their influence in the C-suite? And that's, that is a challenge. And that is something that is different because the agency connection in Agencies used to have a very direct connection to the top. That doesn't exist consistently. And so finding more ways in is something that is going to need to continue. And it is happening as the business expands, especially because most of the work that is happening is so broader than even just mm -hmm. advertising or marketing these days. So I think that's another opportunity. And uh, I will just say the complexity of today is just going to continue to get exponentially even more complex. And that makes it good for agencies because they are there to help, but it also makes it really challenging to be able to stay on top of everything and lead that thinking. Brilliant. Joe, hopefully that was enough time to think of another one. Well, I, well, I was going to pass it back to Ross. I want to hear what your answer is. I Okay, so I yes. never do the alliteration thing, but I, I have three P's this time that I think are, when we talk about a new standard for modern marketing and we talk about the expectations that brands have of us as agencies or marketing companies, um, the first would be, in addition to what you all just said, which I thought was brilliant. So here are my additions. One, prediction. It is now expected of all of us to be able, not just to see around corners, but to see around culture. And that's really hard to do. Um, and it requires math and science and it requires art and intuition. Um, so prediction. Number two, precision. And I'm not just talking about performance campaigns and conversion. Even when you're managing a brand campaign, whether you're doing strategy, creative, media, any of it, all of it, precision matters more than ever especially as the forces acting upon CMOs, CFOs, CEOs, and boards has only intensified in the economy that we're operating in. So precision is more important than ever, uh, especially when managing labor, um, messaging, and budgets. So the last would be passion. And I think that doesn't get discussed that much these days um, because we're worried about so many things. But I can just tell you, I get so excited about every new client, regardless of their industry. Um, otherwise, I find it difficult to actually do my job and lead my teams. And so I think there is this more than a hope, an expectation that the agency you choose to work with is going to be just as passionate about your business if you are selling stamps as if you're making TV yeah. shows for Netflix. And I think that I don't want to lose that in this. 
I love those. I love the three Ps. Thank you for sharing them. I'm glad I asked. Me too. I, look, I, I'm surprised they didn't cut me off before and they allowed this podcast to continue. It wasn't that controversial, but we you were quite job. well behaved. I told you, Linda Boff said be nice. But look, <laughs> you, you guys are amazing. Like this is if we're if the two of you represent leadership in our industry, which you do. I'm really damn glad to be part of this industry. So I thank both of you, Joe, Marla, and I thank the Drum and the Drum Network for hosting this podcast and inviting the three of us to be part of this very first episode. And we'll see you guys next time.